Terry, it's Mo. How are you, you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Mo? I'm good, thanks. But hey, I have to pick your brain. I don't think it's controversial to say that over the last few years, Canada has been diplomatically abused by China. But once we come out of this pandemic with the Chinese government disinformation campaign that had the WHO reporting things that the Chinese government knew were false, the planes that Trudeau sent to China for medical equipment that came back empty, Beijing buying up personal protective equipment through its United Front network, including right here in Canada, while covering up the risks of coronavirus to everyone else. Is Canada's relationship with China going to change or are the political and corporate interests so entrenched that, as Defense Minister Sajjan said, we will still view China as not our adversary? Well, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, and it's a particularly pertinent question in, in respect of Canada, because Canada is unique in the G7, and in fact, maybe even the G20, in uh, some very, very strange zombie-like uh, brain freeze that seems to have afflicted just about everybody in uh, the Liberal cabinet. It, it's, 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 it's astonishing. It's really remarkable. I'm not a conservative and I'm not citing conservative talking points. And I hate sure. talking about this in ways that seem partisan. But the, the tragic fact of it is that you have uh, in Canada, for instance, there was a poll that the, um, the Pew International, uh, Pew uh, Public Information, uh, they do a wonderful uh, public opinion surveys, rather, every year. And uh, in December, they did a tremendous global attitude survey. I think they run it through the University of Maryland, uh, and they've been running it for years, on attitudes towards the People's Republic of China. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was like tens of thousands of poll respondents from 37 countries, I think. And the people who have the lowest opinion of the People's Republic, you know, the government, not the people, obviously, the Chinese people. Mm-hmm. Uh, magnificent civilization and all that sort of thing. Um, but it, the top three were Japan, Canada, and Sweden, okay? Oh, really? Okay. We have the low, Canadians have the lowest opinion and have had for quite some time. I mean, there's, there's this, the point I'm making is this weird disconnect, right? Whereas the overwhelming majority of Canadians for some time now have just had it with this rubbish, right? They've just fed up. And uh, unfortunately, the people who make the decisions, the people who have sway, the people who have influence in the Trudeau Trudeau cabinet, this strange fealty to China, it's bred in the bone with these people. It's bred in the Mm -hmm. bone. You know, it goes back to Pierre Trudeau, you know, traveling through China, writing these, this fascinating book about China, and strangely not noticing that there was a famine going on that killed 60 million people at the time. Right. And then, you know, uh, being the, you know, one of the most uh, treasured kind of baubles in, the, in China's outward, you know, a diplomatic uh, uh, attempts to normalize itself in the world. And then it running running through the Demaray family and the Crichens and and John Manley and John McCallum and I mean there's this whole galaxy of these guys, and so it really is bred in the bone. And and the difficulty also is that the people that have got us into this mess, 
the people who have uh, uh, persuaded China that they could just kidnap Mike, the two Mikes and, uh, you know, strong, strong arm us a little bit and uh, we would do the right thing um, are the people who are still calling the shots. Right. So that entire kind of overburden of liberal party old timers, the Canada China Business Council, SNC Lavalin, Power Corporation, Demarais, uh, you know, now, you know, TELUS and uh, Huawei, uh, the, the whole corporate overburden and the foreign policy establishment, they're not going to come out and say, you know, everything we have said about China has been wrong for the last quarter of the century. <laughs> you know, they're not going to yeah. say, you know, we're sorry, everybody, but we have actually not been right once about China in the last quarter of a century. Not one. Yeah. So these are the people running the show. So I don't know how to quite answer your question, but it's going to be well, interesting you, to see whether or well, not. Well, you sound pessimistic. You well, sound I'm like a, it, it, it will be business as usual in terms of our diplomatic relations, even though there is that disconnect with the Canadian populace. I worry that it, I, I, I don't know. I'm a strong believer in democratic participation and I love this country and, you know, we're all right. We're just, you know, these weird little hobbits up here in the Shire and, you know, we try to do our best. We're a, we're a significant, uh, you know, we're a world power for God's sake, you know, yeah. we talked, Oh, we're just a middle power. Just, are you kidding me? I mean, we're in the G seven for goodness sake. And we're, in, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're a NATO member and we haven't completely blown all of our credibility um, I don't know. I mean, there are decent people in the Liberal Party who for years have been phoning me on the side and, and saying, you know, this is this is an absolute disgrace. It's a tragedy. You know, it was, you know, when the former when the former uh, director of the intelligence uh, secretariat of the Privy Council office phones you up and, and says we're sitting ducks. It's over. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you sit up and take wow. notice, right? You know, there's, there's the excuses going around about the strange, you know, kind of zombie performance uh, yeah. that we're getting from the prime minister, from uh, the foreign, foreign minister, uh, uh, Champagne, from Karina Gould, bless her heart. I actually like Karina. I don't want to be mean. She's the international mm. development minister. Uh, and Patty Hyde, my God, what, <laughs> it's like, what the hell? Are you kidding me? Yeah. You know, this weird, you know, the excuses are, you know, oh, we're all in this together. You know, this isn't the time. Finger pointing, blame game. You push at the edges a little bit and say, well, this isn't, you know, we have to rely on China right now because if we, we need them for all the personal protective equipment and all this kind of stuff. And, and, you know, okay, well, before this happened, the excuse was, well, you know, we're trying to negotiate the release of Michael Kovrig and Michael Spavor. And, uh, and before that, you know, the excuse was, well, you know, we can be a, an honest broker, uh, you know, and we, between China and the United States. And uh, there's always an right. excuse. Canada is the only country in the world that makes these excuses. And it would be, you know, the thing that's disturbing to me is what, no matter how you come down on this, what your politics are, we're in a situation where our own elected leaders at this, this critical moment, this pivotal moment, this inflection point in the history of modern civilization, you know, mm -hmm. the worst uh, uh, emergency of its kind since the Second World War, 
and yeah. our government can't level with us and can't be honest with us about how we got into this predicament in the first place, about why yeah. we're all being instructed to be, you know, act like mole people and hide in our basements and wait for the all clear signal. You know, yeah. we're not allowed to talk about why we're in this situation and what has made us so vulnerable and continue. I mean, are you kidding me? We can't talk yeah. about this. So, you know, and, and the difficulty of course, is when you do start talking about this and you don't sort of hew to the, the liberal party line on it, you know, God knows people will call you all kinds of names and look what happened to the Epoch times the other day. I mean, they're weirdos. I mean, I don't, I shouldn't be mean. The people, <laughs> People who own the Epoch Times are kind of weird, okay? Sure. And I, you know, bless their hearts. You know, it's a religious, it, it's a religion. And it's, you know, yeah. the, the Chinese government refers to them as one of the five poisons in China. It's right. Kong, human rights lawyers, Muslim people, um, uh, you know, Democrats. And I, what is what's the fifth? Is it Christians? I forget. Um, and so, you know, Part of the leadership group of the Epoch Times in, in this, you know, the people, the, the parent company, apparently they're mm -hmm. really, you know, crazy about Trump, right? Yeah. And so that real, that, and so the, this newspaper that's actually been breaking a lot of stories in Canada for years. And in, in some mm -hmm. respects, they've been far, far more responsible than a lot of the rest of us, you know, keeping their eyes on, on this kind of thing. If you say this, you know, if you say, why is the CBC going crazy on the Epoch Times right now? You know, five or six yeah. important reporters, Radio Canada International, the CBC website, CBC National News, ooh, Epoch Times, racism, ooh, stigmatization. This is crazy talk. And if you, yeah. met, if you just sort of notice that, then you're some kind of right-wing, bigot, Trumpist, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is the thing that, that worries me as a journalist, is that you can't, yeah. you know, it's becoming increasingly difficult just to do the necessary work of journalism without being yeah. drawn into these grind, you know, crushed between the grindstones of all this weird, you know, culture war politics. It's, it's really scary. You know, when we consider how China has at least one million Uyghurs in re-education camps, which rarely gets a mention in the news, and it's totalitarian control over its people, its aggression towards Hong Kong, how the Chinese government allegedly treats and threatens Canadian citizens, sometimes even within our own borders, do you think historians are going to look back and ask, where was the moral compass in building up China, a known authoritarian regime, building it up as an economic superpower through trade and investment? Well, I would hope so. Uh, and I'm, I'm really happy to hear you frame the question in that kind of language um, for a couple of reasons. The first is that you know, foreign policy, this is, we talk, you know, what's foreign policy anymore? You know, this is a globalized economy. We're a vast multicultural country. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, we're engaged in all these sort of international institutions. And we talk about foreign policy in the same kind of language. We talk about these issues in the same kind of language that we used to talk about them in the 1920s. And I'm not kidding about this. And it's, you know, Canada is almost unique in this way in that we didn't gain full control of foreign policy, full sovereignty over foreign policy 
until the Treaty of Westminster in 1931, I think that is, that was. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and we've, it's never really been all that important to us because we've been kind of, a, you know, an adjunct to, you know, the British Commonwealth, the British Empire. And then we were kind of in, a, in an auxiliary in some respects, kind of, you know, not a fully paid up member and, an, you know, uh, in again, out again, uh, contributor and participant in the American led uh, rules based international order that arose after sure. the Second World War, right? So we talk about foreign policy as though, well, you know, this is a subject best left to the experts. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the only, there's no other federal jurisdiction that works like this. Like anybody's allowed yeah. to have an opinion about the way the post office is run. You know, yeah. <laughs> we're all allowed, you know, and we, we quite rightly are engaged in all, all kinds of public debates about, I don't know, fisheries management. No, <laughs> um, yeah. but uh, there, there is, and, and, and it's actually quite explicit, you know, when you look at the literature and the discourse and the foreign policy establishment, if you like, you know, you'll mm-hmm. often hear this kind of, well, you know, we shouldn't allow domestic politics to interfere with foreign policy. Well, hmm. you know, what, uh, excuse me, this is a liberal <laughs> democracy. This is a liberal, you know, what, what other kind of politics should interfere with foreign policy, right? And right. so yeah. the question, you know, you raise is a good one. And I think it's all about whether or not we're going to get to a place before it's too late. And it may be too late. I mean, you know, Christia Freeland is really smart. I really like her. She's basically being told, you know, you can do whatever you want about Ukraine or Venezuela but, you know, you're going to leave China to the old boys, and that's the way it is. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it did get to that point where, you know, with, with, uh, with John McCallum, when she basically said, you know, okay, either he goes or I go, and they had to fire the guy. Right. I mean, what a holy – this guy's a, you know, fellow took 73,000 in free trips to China even before he was appointed. <laughs> he was a cabinet yeah. minister. A cabinet minister, and, and, you know, he gets an ambassador's appointment, and he considers it a, a promotion. You know, so, you know, I mean, the, the, the question is, I think at some point, Canada's foreign policy is actually going to have to, to reflect Canadian national interests. We're going to have to have an understanding mm-hmm. of what we mean by that term, because people will throw that term around in Ottawa, you know, our national interest. What is our goddamn national interest in this? What is our national interest in, you know, being an errand boy and, and a, f- a f- you know, a, a, a head waiter and a, and a you know, a, a scullery maid to the People's Republic of China. What's the deal there? That, you yeah. know, our economy, you know, oh, China's our second largest uh, trading market. 4% of our exports go to China, for God's sake. And I'm not saying, you know, screw China, you know, just build a wall. But, you know, we've got to get ourselves to a situation where we are allowed to make our own decisions as a country about our domestic economy, about our relations with other countries in the world, mm-hmm. about the rules that we're going to abide by um, uh, without, you know, wondering and worrying and asking, you know, what Beijing thinks and asking their permission first. I mean, look yeah. at this. Dominic Barton, are you kidding me? This guy's Mephistopheles. I mean, well, you know, you wouldn't. I wouldn't have this person into my house. 
<laughs> I, you know, I'm so, I'm kind of letting it out right now. It, you know, <laughs> no, I love it. You know, the guy was running, you know, uh, McKinsey, right? Yeah. And yeah. his relationship with the federal government, with with this government, was really weird to start with. You know, Finance Minister Bill Bill Moore knows Blue Chip Economic Development Advisory Committee. Remember that? Yeah. He was the chair of that, okay? Now that's weird mm -hmm. enough. But if you worked so much, you know, if you so much as worked as a receptionist for, for the finance minister's economic development advisory committee, every two weeks your check came from McKinsey. It didn't come from mm -hmm. the federal treasury. It yeah. was a wholly owned subsidiary of McKinsey. McKinsey was having its annual, you know, gala, its glitzy, uh, you know, annual thing. Uh, in in the desert in Xinjiang, within five kilometers of one of these concentration camps. Wow! And, and uh, you know they were running influence operations in Ukraine. You know that Manafort guy in the states that ended up getting busted yeah. with that guy, and they were running hmm. intelligence operations for the Saudis. And and you know you have this guy. Uh, uh, Barton, who spent, you know, he walked into the office in McKinsey back in the 80s, you know, in Toronto and never left. And he's been in, in China he's, or Asia almost ever since. And, you know, we didn't appoint a new ambassador until Beijing said, yeah, okay, you know, that uh, Dominic Barton, we'd like Dominic Barton. Right. You know, I mean, we've admitted this. So, you know, there will come hey. a point, I think, a kind of a breaking point. Yeah. And if this isn't it, I don't know what is. I do expect there, that there is going to come a breaking point pretty soon when mm -hmm. uh, Canadians are not going to be so easily mollified by China patting us on the head and saying, oh, gosh, you know, you're so much more civilized than those beastly Americans. And, uh, you know, you're so much more cultured and sensible than those ghastly Americans. You know, we're, we're really yeah. far too susceptible to flattery, right? And, and at some point, people are just going to say, you know, screw this. Enough is enough. You know, we, we stand with the overwhelming majority of the people of China because they are human beings and because they yeah. are brothers and sisters and they're vested with all of the rights and liberties enshrined in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And our people in Hong Kong are not just the 300,000, you know, businessmen and their families and so on who live in Hong Kong, who've got Canadian citizenship papers in their business portfolios. All of those people in Hong Kong are our people. Yeah, and our, our Canadian values are—that's Canadian values. That's that's what we fought and died for, and 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 that's our line in the sand. And we've we've had just about enough of all of this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Terry, I I know you saw that news about Taiwan and and how Taiwan donated half a million masks to Canada. Can I be honest about that? Sure. I found it shameful. We're a G seven country. And with all admiration for Taiwan, I mean, they did so many things right in this pandemic. And I wish we took lessons from them yeah. directly or indirectly. But the idea that Canada was caught so flat-footed by believing disinformation from China filtered through the WHO that we, as the 10th largest economy in the world, are in a position where we're accepting a handout 
from a country that's a third of our size, a country that we don't even recognize as a country, that's disgraceful. And I, and I say that with, again, with admiration for Taiwan, it's just, it's disgraceful that we don't recognize them as a country. And again, we can learn so much from many countries, but this just makes me feel disappointed that Canada was so ill-prepared. It would be like me accepting money for a mortgage payment from my 16-year-old cousin, who I even refuse to acknowledge as my cousin. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, we're kind of like a charity case, right? Um, yeah. And you know what's fascinating? One of the fascinating things about Taiwan, and I love Taiwan, by the way. I, I, conf- I mean, I wear my, you know, sort of heart on my sleeve when it comes to Taiwan. It's this thriving little liberal democracy. Interestingly, Tsai mm-hmm. Wen, who I love, by the way, I'm just mad about her. I never go sort of fanboy about any politician, but she is so solid, man. Um, and the interesting thing is her party is the sister party of Canada's Liberal Party in the Liberal International. Oh, and wow. We treat her like dirt. Yeah. You know, we really treat her like dirt. You know, we're falling all over ourselves, thanking, uh, you know, uh, what's his name? Francois-Philippe Champagne our foreign minister, you know, slobbering on Xi Jinping's slippers, going to photo opportunities with Li Qiang and, and Wang Yi and all these gargoyles from Beijing. And uh, hasn't even said, I don't think he's even mentioned Taiwan. I don't even think, think he said thanks. Yeah. This is, you know, this is, and you know, but the difficulty is you're up against this weird partisan mind thing. Uh, you know, um, you've been really central to the conversation about the influence of foreign capital in uh, creating all of these weird distortions in Vancouver real estate, right? That's nice uh, of you to say, but yeah, I've been, I've been trying to follow it as best I can. Yeah, no, I think you've been on top of that. It's hard not to be if you're serious about looking at Vancouver, right? Well, Absolutely. you know, part of the thing about that conversation, it was kind of screwed up in a similar way is that you had all these white guys, uh, you know, in suits and from the, you know, real estate industry. You know, if anybody says, you know, gosh, there sure seems to be a lot of Chinese money floating around. Holy crap. You know, we kind of, you know, real estate's doubling, tripling in price. Like what the, you know, all these Ferraris and Maseratis, what the heck's going on with the city? And then yeah. you have, you know, condo king Bill Rennie and the mayor of Vancouver who's married to some starlet in China whose mother's just been picked up in Harbin on some kind of corruption charge saying, oh, you're being racist for talking like this. And then, of course, you know, all of our friends in the old Cantonese community in Vancouver, you know, my interlocutors, the people who, I'm a, you know, my people are Irish, we're immigrants and we emigrated and I've actually written extensively about this, you're kind of welcomed into the Cantonese community in Vancouver. You know, the, all of these, can, you know, old, the old Chinese Canadians in Vancouver saying, this isn't racist, are you kidding me? You know, what's wrong with you people? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and, and so, you know, it, the interesting thing is, um, if, you, if you follow the money instead of the people, I mean, you can follow the people, and that, you know, the sort of migration of all these rich people into Vancouver certainly made a difference, but they weren't all rich. It was really the money, right? You follow the money and that's where you get the story. And similarly, when it comes to the spread of uh, the coronavirus around the world, if you follow the, the genetic footprints that that virus leaves behind, rather than the people carrying it, that's where you get the real story, right? 
And so what, when you look at that, you know, the interplay between the, the creature, the beast that's devouring people all over the world and human systems and politics and stuff like that, the science tells its own story. And in that story, I'm afraid health minister Patty Haidu does not come off. She plays no heroic role. Let me tell you, you know, they're always saying, oh, look to the science. You have to be guided by the science. Right. You were not guided by, we were not guided by the science on this. The people who were guided by the science on this were, were, were Taiwan, were South Korea, were New Zealand, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're doing pretty well. And, you know, we, the, the, the evidence is just, they're slam dunk, right? We, we know now because of all of those brave whistleblowers who were right and who died on the front lines, by the way, in those hospitals in Wuhan. The history mm. that is written of this story, my God, if there are not statues to those Wuhan doctors in major cities around the world, then we've done something wrong. They were vindicated. They were vindicated on the 7th of January when the genome was sequenced. They were saying, look, this is just like SARS. A month later, the Chinese foreign ministry was holding these press conferences in Beijing and saying, oh, it's no worse than the U.S. flu. You know, you had January 6th, 7th, the thing was, was the genome was sequenced and the doctors were, you know, almost a month earlier were saying this is just like SARS. And so when it finally get the new thing finally gets a name, it's SARS-CoV-2. And the first one was SARS-CoV-1, you know. It shares 80% of the genetic sequence um, of the first SARS. Um, It shares 96% of the genetic sequence of these bats in Hunan. Might have come through through a pangolin in a wet market. Nobody knows. Nobody's even allowed to know. Because... If you, if you say, if you, you know, look what's happened to Australia, look what the Europeans have been told, the British, the French, bipartisan consensus in the United States, there's got to be an independent inquiry into what the hell happened here. And so mm-hmm. what does the Chinese government do? They say to the Australians, oh, nice little economy you got here, shame if anything should happen to it. You know, your beef exports, your wine, tourism, you know, sending students to you guys, you know, you just watch your, watch your manners. And Canada, unfortunately, right. has gone along with Dr. Tedros, who's not even a doctor, who's the head of the World Health Organization, who says, well, we should handle this with an, in, you know, with a rev- an in-house World Health Organization review. And Canada is mm-hmm. one of the first countries to come along and say, yeah, we're in favor of that. Yeah, we'll take that. While everybody else is saying we need a serious independent inquiry into what the hell happened here. You know? So, yeah, it's, uh, at some point, the penny is going to drop, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I would hope so. <laughs> but again, I, my fear is, you know, these entrenched interests, be they political or corporate, and and which direction the the Canadian government takes, in spite or as a result of what the Canadian population wants, it remains to be seen. And, yeah, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll be the man to follow it. Yeah, the Conservatives are in complete disarray on this, although. The people with the best and most principled position in Ottawa right now on this file, I have to say, are conservatives. It's a shame. I'm kind of a lefty. Uh, the NDP yeah. has been completely AWOL on this for, you know, yeah. 
from the word go. I mean, half these old guys in Toronto are still wandering around, wandering around in Mao hats. Um, <laughs> so, and they're, like I say, they're decent people in the Liberal Party too. I think when Biden gets elected, inshallah, Joe Biden gets elected. <laughs> Uh, you know, Inshallah, absolutely. You know, the conversation yeah. might change. We'll see. Well, hey, Terry, I appreciate the chat. Are you going to come on a proper episode of This Is Van Color with me sometime? I'd love to sit down with you for an hour and chat in a proper studio about this. Oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a big fan of yours, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I'm definitely going to get you, I'm definitely going to invite you on the show for, for a proper episode once we're allowed to uh, meet up in person again. Okay, great. Glad this wasn't a video chat. I, I look like some strange man from the mountains. <laughs> oh, I'm, I look like a slob too. Don't worry about it. But hey, to you and your family, stay healthy, my friend. You too, buddy. Thanks very much. God bless. I appreciate that. Bye now. Okay, bye-bye.